You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I am Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kent, Texas. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for January 4th, episode 3336. Good morning, horse world. What is your favorite day of the week? You never stop learning. You never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. Welcome back, Mary. Thank you. Glad to be back. First show of 2024. How's it going so far? We're, we're four days into the new year. How's it going? Pretty good. I have consistently been riding in my organizer every day. So I'm a hundred percent sure I'm gonna fill that thing up by the end of the year and I'm not gonna forget about it or lose it. You know, <laughs> I, I have hope this I time. Hope. So do you use your organizer to keep track of things coming up so you don't forget them, or is it more of a diary type of thing? Um, it's more to like get the scrambled mess from my brain to paper so that I don't drive myself crazy. Um, So yeah. Yeah. And it does help. Um, I do a very sloppy um, bullet journal type style. Um, It looks like it was written by a serial killer because I think too fast for my writing and my writing is very frightening. My handwriting, not so good. Can you read, can you read your own writing? I can. I have noticed since we've been in this wonderful age of technology and we type everything that when I have to sit down and write, I will skip letters and like, I'm like, I had to teach myself how to write again. I'm like, oh my God. Um, when I write a check, I, I, it's like totally (laughs) messed up. Maybe this is just the part of me that likes to doodle and draw and make art and things i find myself practicing my penmanship like you did when you were in third grade i'll get myself a piece of notebook paper and i'll just practice letters because you you really people think that's not a thing especially if you're younger and you don't write very much and you don't remember being able to write well as in with a pencil or pen you do forget how and your hand goes um how'd that happen and glenn we let i laugh at glenn b all the time because he literally cannot read his own writing it's so bad (laughs) it's he should have been a doctor Oh my gosh, it's way, ugh. He, he's not allowed to make the grocery list because mm-hmm. I pick it up and go, um, what's that word there? And he goes, uh, and then he looks in the refrigerator. That's grapes because <laughs> there's nothing in there. That's the word grapes. <laughs> nice. That's interesting. A great way to do, because there's so many ways to use organizers for questions. You can use that to keep track of what's coming up. You can use it to keep track of what's already happened. When was the last time the farrier was out? You can keep track of what you've been doing with your training, what you planned to do versus what really happened. You can do one or both. Interesting. 
Yeah. And there, you know, there's a million apps on your phone and you could write it in the notes. And I do keep things in my phone as well. I keep my calendar updated in my phone, but writing it down, I put the whole, here's the horses I'm going to do today. And I'll scratch a few little notes like, you know, okay, today we need to work on opening gates with this horse and yada, yada, yada. And what I'm starting to do, I have gotten yet another journal because I'm I'm starting to lightly entertain the idea of writing, training stuff down. And maybe one day it's a book. I don't know. Um, because I'll get all these theories while I'm working the horse. Like, oh my gosh, I should try this. And I should, you know, and then I forget about it. Um, so I've started scrawling some, some ideas down. Oh, neat. There was a book I read many, 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 many moons ago. And my mom got me a copy of it for Christmas a few years back because it's long since out of print. And I will send you a link to the name of it because you might enjoy reading it. This lady Ooh. in Great Britain, don't remember which part of Great Britain. Pretty sure it was England, not Ireland. Uh, but it's basically her journal of her adventures training a couple of horses. And specifically, one of the horses she trained without using a bridle. And this was in the late 40s, early 50s. So it was pretty radical, especially in England. Yeah, and that's it's crazy talk. Crazy talk. And it's her ups <laughs> and downs and adventures. And she would write about what she thinks going on. And then a little bit, but I was, oh, this is what I thought was going on. But this is what's really going on. Fascinating, fascinating book. I'll have to send you the title of it so you can see if you can track down a copy. I think it cost about $6. Exactly, yeah, that's exactly where my mind was going with that because I don't, I cannot just like sit down and write a book like this chapter. We're going to talk about this. And so, yeah, I want it to be kind of like a journal, um, you know, musings and findings and all that kind of stuff. So very cool. Yeah. I'd love to love to read that book. Uh, it's called Adventures Unbridled. I oh, I love that. Okay. I'm yeah. writing that down in my journal. <laughs> The picture comes up. Okay, so I can make it bigger so I can read it. There it goes. By Mo Moira Williams. M-O-Y-R-A Williams. And if memory serves, she wrote a lot of scientific stuff. That was her real job as a writer. Uh-huh. Um, the, the, the story of a courageous woman's experiments in training horses without a bit. Oh, lovely. Yeah, and she talks about why she started doing this with this horse. And it's, it's just fascinating. It's got tragedy. It's got joy. It's got it all. It could be a movie of the week. Totally. Oh yeah. I'll definitely watch it. Kind of, it can't, or read it. Oh my gosh. Um, kind of reminds me. There's a, another great book about dolphin training of all things, but it's just a good training book. It's called lads before the wind. And it's about this woman who, um, she, her husband was in charge of this new aquarium being built in Hawaii and they wanted to do aquatic animal shows. And this is where, when it was not a, like a, a thing, I think there had been some other aquariums doing it. Um, but uh, I think this was before SeaWorld and she was not any kind of scientist or anything. She's there with her husband, but she had trained her own horses and dogs and stuff. And they were trying to train these dolphins off of a, a B.F. Skinner book, which was very like kind of dry, scientifically written. And these scientists, the people at the aquarium could not get anything done. Well, she comes to it with her 
you know, understanding of animals. And she just starts training these dolphins and it goes through how like getting the dolphins to jump over something that was suspended above the water, how difficult that was. And then she realized, oh, when the dolphin is swimming, they can't see it underwater and they were too afraid to jump it. So she like took this cable and ran it across the bottom of the pool and had to get the dolphins brave enough to cross. Cause these were like wild caught dolphins. And then she would raise the cable, raise the cable. And then when she went above the water, the dolphins didn't understand how to do it because of, you know, the, their viewpoint from underwater made it skewed and they couldn't figure out how to jump over it. So she taught them when you swim up to it, look straight up and then you could see it perfectly and then jump. So it goes through all of that. And even if you're not going to train dolphins anytime soon, um, it's just a great insight into, you know, it, it's kind of written like a journal in a way. Interesting. Huh? Yeah, I'm going to check that one out. I'll put a link to it in the show notes on today's uh, show notes page. And, I, and I'll if I can find the Adventures Unbridled book somewhere, because you have to get it at a used bookstore. If I can find, come across one of those, I'll put a link in there for that, too. That, yeah, the... Um, gonna I found one out. in very good condition for $18 on a website called horsebooksplus.com. There you, well, I'm not going to put that one up because somebody will buy it out from under you. <laughs> yes, I just realized that. I realized my the error of my ways. I will leave that one up for someone to grab, but I found a couple links for it. There but you go. Yes, I will be. I'll be buying it this morning. There we go. Ta -da, ta -da. Uh, and for somebody, we always have auditors posting. You know, any book suggestions. So there's two: Adventures on Bridles and Lads Before the Before the Wind. And another one, and I've recommended this bef before. Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. And it's written from the point of view of the octopus. The octopus is the main oh, character, cool. but the octopus is also telling the story. Okay. And it's, it's really fascinating. It's a little bit of a whodunit, and it's got a lot of really great plot twists. But Ooh. what I one of the things I enjoyed about that is because it's written from the point of view of the octopus, it really made you, every so often, you, they would come to a plot point and you'd stop and think about this like oh that thing in my existence was such a solid fact but when it's seen from the point of view of this octopus which makes sense because octopuses octopi are incredibly intelligent so from their point of view seeing their point of view for a human is is not hard but then you went no. from that point of view oh my gosh that what i thought was that reality is so different and i found ways I could apply to things I read in that book to my horse life. So that was kind of cool. But today's turned out to be book review day. That's not how we started out. I know, right? <laughs> we, we started out, we were going to talk a little bit about desensitizing horses. A great uh, listener question from Carly. And we're going to talk about something called chicken camp. Yes, it exists. And But our training tip, that's what we usually do first on our show, is going to be treating your horse as he wants to as you want him to be. And we're going to get right to that after we take a quick break from one of our great sponsors. For first-time horse owners and new riders, finding the information and support you need can be challenging. That's why Equine Network has partnered with Sentinel and Absorbing to bring you My New Horse. From important horsekeeping information and how-to videos to social media communities, exclusive experiences, and more, My New Horse is your one-stop shop for riders of all levels and disciplines looking for easy-to-understand horse care information and guidance. Start your horse ownership journey today. Visit MyNewHorse.com. And now it's time for a training tip, but this just jumped into my brain 
And I have to get it out right now because if I don't, I'll forget it. We were out at the barn yesterday and Glenn's co-host on Horses in the Morning, Jamie, was out there with us. And we were saying hi to the ponies and scratching their noses and stuff. And I had a couple of cookies in my pocket. And not Scooter, the hackney pony, really struggles with backing up under any circumstances because he's he is super duper alpha. You are not going to make me move backwards. I am always the one in charge. So I've been doing some positive reinforcement to get him to back up. He, he backs up two steps, click treat, etc. Mm-hmm. I've done that with Nigel, who has no trouble backing up, but I wanted him to be able to back out, back up with just a voice command and nothing else. So he's really good at it. So I'm standing there with Scooter with my hands behind my back saying, back up, back up, back up. And he's taking steps back and taking steps back and taking steps back. And he gets his cookie. And then I turn and I look behind me and Nigel has backed up approximately 15 feet away from me. Oh, <laughs> he's looking at me with his little face going, well, where's my cookie? I love that. I just thought I just cracked up because I, I didn't even know he was back there. I love that. I, I That's one of those interest instances where your horse does something you didn't necessarily ask for, but it's a nice problem to have. Like, oh my gosh, look how my horse just likes to gently back away from my space and he likes to do it and he's hoping he's going to get a reward. And that's so cute. Yes. And what it also reminded me is if you don't think they're paying attention and they don't notice, you're wrong. They may... Oh. They may not understand, or they may have chosen to react in a way different than what you thought they were going to react, but it's not because they're not noticing. (laughs) They take in so much more than we realize. And I had a trick trainer tell me once that he will have all of his horses tied up on patient's poles while he's training. He'll take one horse off and would train tricks and then put it back on the pole. But all of those horses that he's working with are out there watching. And he swore they can they will pick it up by watching and i almost didn't believe that for a while but of course i have seen it in person many times now um and i think they've even done some experimenting with foals where they take the mother out and they brush the mom and the foal like sees that and goes oh yeah okay this is what we do and it's better training i think they found than imprinting or things like that so yeah they're very observant yeah yeah. And if given the opportunity, right, you know, because they can they can observe something negatively as much as positively. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There you go. So uh, once I have once again have re- derailed this show, the title of this episode is going to be Jen Derails Mary Kitts Miller. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about your training tip. What inspired it and what's it all about? Okay, so this came about because I was working one of my more wild Mustangs yesterday. Um, I got her for Mustang Magic competition, I think, year before last. And she was extremely sweet, but incredibly reactive. And put a, a ride or two on her, and it all went fine. But I knew that she just wasn't going to come together by competition time. So I decided not to do the competition and ended up adopting her. And unfortunately, she's kind of been on the back burner. I'll do a little bit of clicker training with her here and there. But, you know, one of my resolutions is like, okay, we are getting your training finished. But 
Um, I had welders at the barn um, fixing my stall. So I had her turned out in one of the adjacent pens and, um, you know, all the noise of the welder, she was kind of getting snorty and goofy. It's really cold out. And I thought, well, I can't work in my arena today because those stalls are in the arena. So I'll just go out and play with her. And the thing about her is she's not a mean horse in any way. Um, you know, she doesn't want to hurt anyone or anything, but she's very reactive and she will be standing perfectly still and then just jump out of her skin for any reason. So anytime I work around her, I'm always like a little shaky, especially doing things like handing, handling her feet because, you know, I don't want to be like trimming on her feet and I've got her hoof like between my knees and then she freaks out at something and runs me over. And so I'm always kind of like on my toes with her. Um, so yesterday I went out with her and, you know, I didn't really have any agenda like, oh, we need to lunge or do this or that or the other. Um, I just, you know, started kind of doing some positive reinforcement with her, getting her to face up in spite of all the noise and stay hooked on me and follow me around. And then I noticed she had some knots in her mane. So I went to the tack room and grabbed a comb and cowboy magic. And I just started brushing on her, um, you know, no halter. We're out in the middle of a, a pretty large pin. And all of a sudden, just when I stopped, like thinking of, oh, you're so reactive, you know, we got to work on training. And I went to, let's just brush these knots out of your mane. She completely melted and turned into a different horse. And really? she, yeah, she just, uh, you know, she just lowered her head. She was so happy to have her mane brushed. And then I just started, you know, petting on her and just started picking up all of her feet and all of this, you know, at Liberty, cold, welders are making tons of noise and she was a gym and it really just hammered the point home that I've always been told is you need to be safe around horses. You need to be prepared for anything, especially if the horse is a little bit green, but if you start treating them as if they're going to do something scary, um, you act differently and they feed off of that. But when I changed my demeanor and I just started brushing on her, like she's an old broke brood mare in the pasture who's seen and done everything. She became that horse. And it, it's, it's a balance because you don't want to be foolhardy and not paying attention um, right. <laughs> and not aware that this is a very flighty animal. Um, but you have to actually train yourself sometimes in spite of that, to just relax and treat, treat that horse. Like that, that horse has seen and done everything. And when you become that person for your horse, you, you relax, you treat everything, you know, really casually and easily. They, they change as well. And, um, and so that's something I've heard from trainers before, you know, treat them as you want them to be not exactly as, they are what you think they might do. Um, so, you know, a short tip, but it can make all the difference in the world. And it, it just was one of those moments where I needed to check myself and just, you know, I didn't have an agenda. We're just out here being together. And that can mean more to your horse than doing 400 little training drills in a row. Interesting. Now that, that that's a great concept to take into lots of different areas of your horsemanship and something that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show comes to mind. Ooh. Mm. 
There we go. Well, the next thing we're going to chit-chat about, speaking of training and interesting, is something called Chicken Camp. Chicken Camp exists. It's got nothing to do with Kentucky Fried. And right after we hear from one another, another one of our sponsors, we're going to talk about it. Even under the best circumstances, travel is stressful for horses. We've all been there, stuck on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. You can make the journey knowing that U.S. Rider is there for you. Get peace of mind on the road with U.S. Rider's nationwide 24-7 roadside assistance coverage for both you and your horse. Join today at usrider.org. What the heck is chicken camp? Okay, so chicken camp is kind of what it sounds like. You you go off for a few days and you spend those five days training a chicken to do various tasks. Um, anything from like discrimination, like pick out the triangle out of these objects. Um, I've seen people train the chickens to do little agility obstacles, like going up a ramp or weaving in between poles. And um, it's, you know, you literally are training chickens, but it's not, I'm not doing it because I want to be a world renowned chicken trainer, which would be cool, but that's not my goal. Um, It's to actually get better at horse training. And so this concept was started in, I think, the 90s um, by uh, Bob Bailey and Marianne Bailey, uh, if I'm if, if I'm not mistaken. And it was a thing for dog trainers um, and especially dog trainers that are learning to use to work with behavioral science and do the, um, you know, positive reinforcement style training. And the reason chickens, instead of making it a dog training class, again, because most of the people showing up to these were dog trainers, um, is it takes, it's like working with a blank canvas. Because if you're an experienced dog trainer, you've got all these preconceived notions and emotions attached to dog training um, and all these old habits, but you're learning a new protocol for doing it. So by doing a completely different animal, um, you, you get to leave all that baggage at the door and start fresh. And where dogs typically dogs want to do the right thing. They want to help you do the right thing. So a dog is more going to more easily fill in the gaps in your knowledge and timing and things like that. A chicken doesn't care. Um, they're not trying to impress you and they have a pretty short attention span. So you have to be on point with your timing. And if you can train a chicken, you can train just about anything. So that's where <laughs> this whole concept came from. And it's been really popular for decades. Um, and so me and a few other horse trainers are going to uh, embark on this journey and learn more about horse training through training chickens. So, and, and from the other point of view, just like um, horses have a preconceived notion about what ho- humans are going to do, the dog does too, unless it's a feral, well, not even feral, unless it's literally a wild dog species, it's going to have preconceived notions re- regardless of what trainer, right? You can take mm-hmm. a dog that's been on the streets, but he already has some type of relationship with a human that is going to affect that training process. A little bit like starting a Mustang is different than starting a domesticated horse, right? The The, the Mustang yeah. is the clean slate. Well, what you're what you're doing is you're giving that trainer 
the chicken is the is you're you're the chicken's Mustang. <laughs> you're a completely the, the new trainer. The chicken is your Mustang, I guess. <laughs> in a way. Or, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Something yeah. like that. Something like that. Now, are there specific sorts of chickens that you use or anything like that? That is a good question. I have no idea. Um and I have been asked if I will be taking my chicken home. I don't <laughs> that's, think that's that, a real possibility. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I have what I have said is like, okay, I have I, I kind of have to know what becomes of these chickens. Like, do we spend five days bonding with them and training them, and then they go be in a bucket somewhere? Because if that's the case, I'm taking my chicken home. Um, so I yeah, I don't know the the backstory of these chickens. Um, but I will be sure to find out. Anyway, the only I've watched, of course, when you mentioned this let last month to me, I had to go down the rabbit hole of watching videos of people training chickens. All the chickens were looked like white leghorn chickens, maybe. Just your average yeah. everyday chicken. None of them were the cool exotic ones. I think training a cool exotic one would be better. Like a silky yeah, or silky. a frizzle. Have you seen a frizzle, a frizzle chicken? <gasps> Frizzles are fun. It's, yes. the it's the chicken that you put on in the dryer on high without a dryer sheet. Yeah, they look <laughs> they look like they've had a, a blowout at the salon that yeah. went a little chaotic. <laughs> it's 1980s chicken hair. <laughs> yes. Yes. They're fabulous. So it, going into this. What are your expectations? Do you have things that you hope that you will go over, things that you're dreading, things that you think you might ace or or struggle with? I fully expect to be completely humbled by this chicken um, because, you know, yeah, like like I said, they, they say if you could train a chicken, you could train anything because they do they can be very frustrated with a low rate of reinforcement so you look you've got to like be on it like you did the thing and really click and treat and click and treat really on time and quickly or they're like i'm done with this so i fully expect to uh encounter a little bit of frustration maybe a small amount of embarrassment but i'm hoping that i um, I get better at all of those things and I can get the chicken to do the things and I hope I get a gold star. But yeah, I'm looking to, because, you know, with the whole positive reinforcement training, even though I've been doing it for oh, like 10 or 15 years or something like that, I still feel very much like a novice. Like I'm just only barely scratching the surface. So I'm really excited to get in the room with people who really understand this style of training and, you know, just getting as much knowledge as I can and uh, hoping that it carries over into the horses. Da -da -da -da. And we hope to hear all about it on next month's show. Yeah. Yes. There yes. And I'm I'm going to be taking a camera if, if filming is allowed and taking go. lots of pictures. And I'm also curious to find out what is a high value reward for a chicken versus a low value. I have been told mealworms. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to hand, have a pocket full of mealworms. I know. It really mm -hmm. grosses me out. Um, yeah. We had to raise those in elementary school. Yes, this elementary science class. <laughs> I couldn't eat oatmeal for like 20 years because of it. Because they were raised in, like, we had like a little thing of oatmeal. And at first it was really cool. But after a while, I'm like, I can't eat oatmeal anymore. It's gross. 
Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thank We should have given you a trigger warning, everybody. Sorry about that. Sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now, the next thing we always do on our show is our listener questions. And our listener questions come from our auditors. Who are auditors, you ask? Auditors are folks who support Horse Radio Network programming through Patreon. And that gives them the privilege of being in the super secret auditors only Facebook group where folks trade ideas, thoughts, questions, and answers. And they also get to ask questions of our hosts when we do Q&As. And that's how we do that on the show. If you want to become an auditor for HRN and help support the HRN hosts like Mary, you can do so by going to Horse Radio Network and look for the Become a Patron or Become an Auditor uh, banner. It's also, uh, no, it's not on Horses in the Morning Morning. It's on Horse Radio Network. So you're going to look for that. Or you can just email somebody here at Horse Radio Network, Jennifer at Horse Radio Network, and I can send you the information too. So that's how we do it. So who is our first question from and what is it? We've got a question from Carly and she said, when desensitizing a horse to a stimulus, what signs do you look for when a horse is trigger stacking versus actually learning and absorbing the lesson? Ooh, can we start start with what trigger stacking is? Yes, exactly. Um, so it's it, it to my understanding, I don't know if I have the academic definition, but it's when a horse they experience all of these scary, stressful things in a real short period of time. Like there's just tons of stuff going on. Sometimes it's stuff we can't even perceive. Um, and it can cause the horse to either react, um, and, you know, go into that fight or flight stance, or it can cause the horse to shut down, which is what you can see sometimes when you're doing tons of desensitizing is the horse looks like they're standing still and they're accepting it, but really they have just gone on screensaver. Um, I didn't know just, that could happen. Yeah. They just like kind of close up shop and say, well, I'm out to lunch and I will be back when things are less crazy. Um, and that's where, this is where you will see instances where a horse spooks at something. They spook at a plastic bag and the owner's like, I have like waved a plastic bag around this horse hundreds of millions of times. And he always was fine. And then this plastic bag flew by and he exploded. Um, you know, I don't understand. And so with desensitizing, um, the way that it's often taught is you move the scary thing around the horse. And then if they move, you go with them. And then when the horse stops, you release and the horse learns, oh, I should stand still when the scary thing is happening. And, you know, we can all call it a day. Um, but again, oftentimes, what we perceive to be a horse standing still and relaxed and accepting is the horse is just shutting down. And that can be very dangerous because, you know, then there will be the one thing that finally sends them over the edge and they go back into that reaction. And it seemingly comes out of nowhere. Now, sometimes this can be caused by us stressing them out and we're just misinterpreting the signs. And sometimes it's just the environment around the horse. And that's where you get a horse that, you know, on the way to, you know, when you begin, you go on the beginning of your trail ride, they see a mailbox, they were fine with the mailbox, you ride six or seven miles, come back, they see a mailbox and they spook. And you're like, you dumb horse, you saw that earlier. 
Well, sometimes that horse was going down the trail and they were just experiencing stressor after stressor after stressor. You know, I saw a bunny run by and, oh, it's really windy and cold today. And I hear dogs barking and da, 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 and they're fine. They're fine. They're fine. And then all of a sudden they see that mailbox, which didn't bother them earlier. And they're like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like the needle that broke. Yeah. Uh, wait, I mixed the straw video. that broke the camel's back. That's the one we're looking for. Yes. I was thinking straw, haystack, needle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Write that down in your journal. It, you know what I mean? <laughs> but so, so that's a really good question um, to ask when you're desensitizing your horses. Are they actually absorbing this and accepting it or are they just shut down? So the things that I look for, whether a horse is taking in the information or just ignoring it is even at a standstill, I want to still see something in my horse. So that could be, you know, licking or chewing or taking a deep breath or, um, cocking a hind leg, lowering their head, you know, any kind of signs that they're letting down, they're relaxing. Um, but another thing that I often do when I'm desensitizing, I don't do a whole lot of making my horse stand perfectly still while I wave the flag over and over and over and over again. Um, because you can only do that so much before it just becomes redundant. Uh, so when I want my horse to stand still and accept things, what I will do, let's say I'm working with the flag. Um, I'm not just going to shove the flag in his face and push him over the edge. I will work at that flag at a distance and um, energy that uh, the horse, it's going to create a little bit of tension, but I'm not going to overload him with it. Um and I will do that. I will just kind of wave the flag rhythmically until they seem to sit still and relax and give me one of those signs to like the, you know, that blowing out or lowering the head or something like that before releasing. But then in between my desensitizing sessions, like when I release the flag and before I go again, I'll release the flag. And then I might just gently ask the horse, hey, can you step your hindquarters over a step? And it's just my way of pulling them if they're if they're stuck in this kind of zone of just shutting down and ignoring. It's my way of just like, hey, you know, stay with me, engage with me. So I'll ask them to take a step one way or the other. Maybe I'll ask them to back up a step or maybe I'll release everything and let's just go for a walk around the arena. And it gives them a chance, you know, that movement, I believe, gives them a chance to let it all out and keep engaged with me and stay here with me in the moment. Um, and I learned this through trial and error where when I was starting Colts, I would have a Colt that was standing perfectly still and let me saddle and do all the things and flapping the stirrups and getting up on them and everything. And then I realized when that horse would take the first step, oh, you weren't really relaxed at all. You were locked in place. And unfortunately, that is not a fun thing to discover when you're on their back. Uh, so when I'm doing things like that, like working on mounting up for the the horse for the first time, you know, I'll put a foot in the stirrup and then say, and then get down and say, okay, take a step, you know, go forwards, backwards, left or right, one step, just relaxed, easy. And it just, it, it helps me gauge the horse because if they're standing still, I desensitize them. And then I say, Hey, would you like to take a step? And they're really goosey. I'm like, okay, you're not really with me. And this is too much. I need to back off or do something different. Um, yeah. so that's one thing that I will do. And also I will do a lot of desensitizing while they're in movement. 
But I think the two biggest things you want to take away is, you know, really observe what your horse is doing. Make sure don't overload them with whatever stimulus you're using. Um, you, you want to create a little bit of tension and like facilitate learning and accepting, but you don't want to go over threshold, you know, start really slow, be rhythmic, be consistent. And those things will help you keep your horse from going into that kind of shutdown zone. There you go. Um, something that I keep an eye on with N- Nigel's one of those horses that he's really great till he's really not. He tends mm-hmm. to be super cool, but he can elevate to, you know, DEFCON 5 very quickly. So I have learned to pay close attention to his breathing, like you mentioned. Uh, if his breathing becomes, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Infrequent. He's not taking regular breaths. Not mm-hmm. a good sign. That means things are getting stacked up and there's liable to be a blowout. Another thing that I've learned to pay much more close attention to is his muscle tension. He can look pretty cool, but if the muscles in his jaw, shoulders are tense, and it's tension that you can't always see, but you can feel it if you just lay your hand on their skin, um, Yeah, that's an indicator to me that Things things are not going as smoothly as I think they are, and I need to take a step back for everyone's safety and knowledge. So those are the two things that he has taught me very specifically is to pay attention to breathing and muscle tension when I'm working with him in situations where uh, he's liable to react, overreact to something that's going to cause us an issue. He's going to spook at a feral cow that's in the woods or something like that. And I wasn't, I I thought I was, but until he came along, I really wasn't good at watching those things. I thought I was. I could tell when a horse was holding his breath. I could tell when a horse had his head up in the air and his eyeballs pinned on something. But I was only noticing it when it was at a very, very high level. I didn't notice it ramping up a little bit at a time. And by the time it got to that very high level, it's kind of too late. We, We had lost that learning opportunity. We were in flight reflex. So, uh. Great stuff. I like that's a great question. We've never done that one before. Yeah. And that's that's a really good thing to start thinking about as you're advancing your horsemanship and you're going beyond just this kind of rote repetition of, well, I was told to do this until the horse stands still. Um, you know, I like to think about it. You're not simply waiting for the horse to stand like a statue. I want to see relaxation. So, you know, think about what does that look like in my horse? And I also don't demand perfect stillness. I'm fine. If my horse wants to take a relaxed step here and there while I'm desensitizing, I allow it to a certain extent. I want them to stay kind of loose in their feet and I don't want them to stand like a statue because that's where scary things can happen. Yes. You don't want them glued to the ground. Yes. Yes. And I I think that's a really good takeaway too, is when you're desensitizing to things in that the thing approaches them and they run away from it. That movement in horses is 99.9% of the time good. You're looking for that calm and thoughtful movement, not the stuck to the ground and then leap into the air like a crazy thing. So if you go from stuck to the ground to leap, to stuck to the ground to leap, to stuck to the ground to leap, and then you just stay at stuck to the ground and there's no more leaping, Okay, but now can you move quietly and thoughtfully? If you say to the horse, okay, now let's move, and you go back to leaping like a crazy thing, mission has not been accomplished. 
And it's not because you haven't made him leap enough times. It's because you've gone awry with your approach or you're, or you're do, trying to do it too quickly. You need to take a step back and kind of start over from my point of view. Yeah. And, and that stuck in the ground leaping is where a lot of the scary things come from. Uh, you know, it's where the rearing, bolting, bucking, all of those things that can make us land on the ground in not great ways comes from that. And so especially with Colts, I want to work on all of their movement to where they're like a finely tuned sports car and they can easily go from first to second to third to fourth to fifth gear. And it all just flows, not like my folks, 72 Volkswagen Beetle that would constantly stall and die and lurch into gear. Um, and, you know, also because my poor driving, it did that. But, you know, when I when I see horses that kind of get stuck and then jump and then stuck and then jump, I'm not getting on that horse. I don't care. I will work on the ground until they can go from standing still to gently going into a walk and then extending that walk and then rolling into a little jog and then extending that jog. If I can get all that to happen on the ground, um, then the ride is probably going to be okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I see this a lot when you see people uh lunging their horses uh for for part of their warm-up routine. And I I lunge Nigel pretty regularly because he gets feral after about five days off. So the smart move for my safety. Where the horse goes out onto the end of the line and just runs around like a nut and blows mm -hmm. off energy. But then at the opposite end, you have the horse that goes out to the end of the line and goes around and around and around like an He's just on autopilot. His head's down. Yeah, dee -dee 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 -dee. And you look at that horse going around going, <gasps> he's so well behaved. But that same horse frequently, if asked appropriately, not in a big giant, oh my God, I'm going to kill you kind of a way, but if he's jogging around, trot on, come on, trot on. The horse will do one of two things. He will either, either ignore the human or he'll go straight up in the air and turn into a kite. That's the horse that's in shutdown mode. It's this, he's having the same process as the horses who who's stuck to the ground with his feet not moving at all. He's he's learned to go out on the end and shut down and just move at that exact pace. But because he's in shutdown mode, if he's asked for more, it's too much. He has to have an, an episode. And I only know this through personal experience and rope burns. Exactly. So it, well, and that's where you'll see people get stuck in the kind of beginning groundwork. Like they, they were taught that round pinning is a good thing. So they just round pin, round pin, round pin, round pin. And that's their groundwork. And I work on round pinning for like two days. And after that, I'll round pin for certain things. But um, I've, I've done lessons with folks that um, had like got gotten into a certain groundwork program and the horse could walk trot and canter on the ground in the round pen and then it would change directions walk trot canter that way and you could tell that that owner had been doing that for years with that horse like go in the round pen walk trot canter change walk trot canter change walk trot canter and when I stepped in I said okay can you get the horse to uh, just walk forward three circles and then stop. And then can you get the horse to do this? And the horse just like, oh no, we don't do that. And so this can even happen with horses that aren't very green or have huge issues. They, but they've just gotten into this habit of this is what we do every day. We just can't around on the lunch line or, you Put know, your blinders on and get it over with. Yeah. Just, I'm going yeah. to so, get it over with. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. That's a different kind of shutdown where the horse is like, yeah, yeah, I know what we're doing. 
and they're not able to take in any new information. So the groundwork at that point just becomes running your horse around. Um, You're wasting horse because you're wasting energy doing it because they're not really learning. I don't have a problem with, I've got, you know, Remy every once in a while, like I haven't ridden him in a couple of weeks. And so I will just like turn them loose in the pen and say, yeah, run around and do whatever you want. And then I'll hop on, um, you know, just sort of my lazy groundwork with him. So I don't have a problem with that to a certain extent, but when I really want to dive deep with that groundwork, start changing it up. And instead of watch our canter, let's say, Hey, can you walk as slow as possible around this circle? And then the next circle, can we make that walk as big as possible? And then maybe the next circle, Let's work on making a bigger circle. Okay, let's work on making a smaller circle. Okay, let's work on stopping on the lunge line and backing two steps. Okay, let's work on going from a standstill to a trot. And and this works under saddle as well. Like vary it up, change it up. And that's what will get your horse's brain back on track. Dun, dun, dun. We're going to end that one with that one. That's a great idea. Get your horse's brain back on track. I love it. Cool. Well, we have one more. We have time for one more listener question. And we always have lots. What's it going to be? So I'll let you choose. Oh, man. I know. Um, There's there's three really good ones. There's three Three really good ones on here. uh, Let's tackle this one from Robin. uh, Because I don't think we've ever done this one before either. How do you teach a horse that is dead-sided to move off your leg when they won't tolerate spurs or crop? That is a good one. So. Without knowing the horse, um, I, I'm going to assume that by not tolerating the spurs in the crop, the horse either acts resentful or very reactive to spurs and a crop. Um, so in any case, we know that the horse is probably receiving the information, um, but it's just not doing the correct thing. So, and this is a wild guess based off this commercial, but a commercial, what am I thinking? My brain is not on. Question. Um, so wild guess reading this question is I, I would bet that the rider is using a lot of leg on this horse, um, and the horse is, you know, dead sided, not doing anything. Um, and in my opinion, the horse has probably become desensitized to the rider's legs, um, which is very easy for horses to do. Uh, they don't come knowing what leg cues are. And sometimes if we're just using leg, leg, leg all the time and the slower they get, the harder we squeeze or the harder we thump on their sides, they get more dead to the world and just start ignoring it. So in that case, you've got to really, really think about how you're applying that aid. And more importantly, you have to think about when am I releasing? Am I even releasing? Um, ding, ding, uh, ding, ding, by, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> Is that even happening? And you get into this vicious cycle with a horse like this. I do it with with Remy because he's kind of a plucky. He's just like a, you know, he he likes to go slow. And I find myself using a little bit more leg, a little bit more leg, a little bit more leg until he's just like, I don't, I, I don't even want to react to it anymore. So I have to think, okay, what am I doing that is teaching this horse to do the right or wrong thing? Um, so I see this often with. English horses as a general rule, because uh, English riders tend to use more constant aids uh, with the reins and the legs. Nothing wrong with that, but you have to be really careful with how you apply it. 
And oftentimes I will get questions like, oh, I can't get my horse to canter. And then when I see the horse in action, I'm like, that horse isn't even really walking very well. Um, so sometimes we're trying to get our horse to canter for 20 minutes when even just walking is a big deal and it's not really, you know, that that's a big challenge for the horse. So in cases when the horse is getting quote unquote dead sided, I'm going to really take my expectations down and I'm going to really ask myself, when is this problem starting? Cause usually like say if the problems in the canter, getting the horse to keep the canter, I can usually see it all the way down into the walk. And that's where I will start. And when I add my legs, you have this whole appendage of your body from your hip to your to your thigh, to your knee, to your calf, to your heels um, to use. And oftentimes what I will see when I tell a rider, okay, go ahead and ask them for it, is they go right to their heels, or they'll just they'll just immediately just squeeze as hard as they can on the horse. Um So when I have a horse like this, I'm going to really think about what's the first thing I want to do to, to, to initiate the walk. Um, And this sounds silly, but oftentimes it starts in my brain. I think about walking. I see the horse in my mind walking forward because that's going to change your body and it's going to change your energy and the horses, whether they are reacting to it or not, do receive that information. So I start there. And then I start engaging my seat. So I think about I, I, like having energy in my seat. And then I start working down my leg. And, you know, I'll start from my upper leg all the way through my calves. And then if I have to, all the way down to my heel. On a horse like this, there's two ways where I can initiate, initiate movement. I can give a light squeeze. Nothing happens. Two things I can do. Um, I will often take like a Makati rein and I'll just lightly spank it back and forth. I usually start on like my own thighs and then the saddle. And then I let a little bit more rein out till it's tapping the horse. Um, Sometimes that is like completely different than what the horse is used to. And they'll go, oh my gosh, and go forward. And then I release everything. Another way that I like to do it is I don't really consider it kicking the horse. It's it looks kind of goofy. I will move my leg from my hip, take it off and just kind of let my legs just flap on the horse. I'm not trying to dig my heel or spurt into the horse and kick them in the ribs. I'm just creating energy with my legs. And when they see my legs kind of, you see it bumping with your leg. Yeah. And it's not hard. I'm not trying to like make them out of breath or anything. I'm just creating some dynamic movement. And usually it's the, the sight of it that the horse goes, ah, what are you doing? And they go forward. Um, And as soon as I get any reaction, uh, I release everything. I, I don't, you don't have to shove your leg off of their sides, but I stop using my legs, relax it at their side and release. And I may just have to, if it's a horse that's gotten pretty dead sided, I will go from the stop to the walk. And if I get one step, great, wonderful. Um, the other thing that's really important here is I will do this on a completely loose rein down to the buckle. I am not touching their face because if I put any contact on their face and then try to ask them forward, it's like they're running into a wall and a horse that's gotten to where they're just not really responding to leg cues. It's way too much to ask them to also collect into themselves. That needs, no matter where that horse is in training, I'm throwing those reins away. And I I don't even care where the horse goes, just go somewhere. That's where we're starting. 
And by releasing every time I get any kind of try on my horse, I'm I'm just reteaching him. This is what I want. Here's where the release happens. If you have a horse that's gotten really dead sided and you finally get him going and then you try to keep him going and you try to keep him going, 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 all you've told that horse is you gave me some try and I don't care. Um, the horse is like, well, I finally did what you asked and what'd you do? You kept kicking me. I'm not saying that's what's happening here, but it is something that I see. Um, and it's often, it's not the rider being, you know, being obtuse or, or mean or anything. It's just, they, they missed, they didn't realize they missed the opportunity to reward that horse. So I'll work on stand still to walk a hundred times. Like, oh, you took a step. Great. You took a step. Great. You took a step. Great. And then I'll, okay, let's see if we can maintain the walk. And then I'll say, can we make the walk bigger? And anytime I feel try, I release everything. So one of my favorite exercises to do with a horse like this is get a fantastic extended walk. And this is something Remy has trouble with. He wants to just do this little stilted baby walk. He doesn't like to really push and extend into that walk. So I find a big open area in my pasture. I ride him to a fence and I I let him walk at the speed he wants to walk, which is sad little pokey walk. And then I bring up his walk. And if I feel him engage with me and he actually gives me a little bit of energy, maybe it's not the perfect extended walk I have in my brain, but I ask and he picked up his energy. I stop everything. I keep riding with my seat, but I stop my legs. Not doing anything with my reins, I'm just letting him go. And he will eventually settle back into his pokey walk again. No problem. And then I'll say, okay, I want that big walk again. So I work and work and work until I get a little bit of a try from him and then release. And we'll just keep stretching out that walk. And the more I reinforce him by saying, You made it, I'm so proud of you. I'm not, I'm just gonna leave you alone for a bit. Um the more he's going to try for me. So horses like this, you want to really make it a big deal when they give you energy. Treat it like the Olympics. It feels like you're not going to get anywhere, but doing thousands of little repetitions like that will eventually build the duration um, that you need to get the horse to walk, trot, and canter for as long as you want. Yeah, I think keeping it really short, it's really easy, especially if you grew up in the English world where you do especially if you're in eventing or dressage, or for that matter, for hunters and jumpers, when you're doing flat work of any kind, you go around and around and around, and you do 400 bazillion circles or circuits of the arena. And when you have a horse who has become dull to the leg, they've come to come dull to the leg for a reason. It's boring, it's repetitious, it's tiring. There's nothing in it for them. So all of those things can give the horse go, oh, I, I, if I try really hard, she's going to give me a break. Yay. Um, and one of the things, again, I learned so many things very late in life. I had a particular thoroughbred who struggled with moving forward into the bridle. He could run like crazy. And we were really good at run like crazy. We could go cross country all day long. He did not have trouble with forward. What he had trouble was with engagement moving forward into the bridle so that he would use his core and come through his back. That's where the struggle was. And when we're eventing, you need to know how to do that. And it was all my body blocking the energy to get him to come through. It was always a struggle for him because he was not particularly strong through his stifles. So it was always a struggle for him to come through like that. But I was the little bit of energy that he have, his own 
uh, impetus to do that, I was blocking it with my body. So I had to learn to ride better. I had to learn to get let go of my hips. I had to learn how to find my core, engage my seat, and then follow his back with my seat instead of push his back with my seat. These are all very esoteric terms. So learning to ride the horse better from the top of your scalp to your toes so that you're riding better, not harder. That whole work smarter, not harder. Let your body ride better, not harder. And it comes in little drips and drabs. And even the most experienced rider can fall off that bandwagon and find yourself riding harder, especially when you have that horse who is by nature Mr. Steady Eddie. Because it, you can, you feel like they've lost. They don't have any energy, and you have to use a lot of leg. When in fact, you've dulled them to it. Um, to this day, Mister Putt Putt Nigel again. He's Mister Nice Guy till he's Mister Not Nice Guy. So when he's taking in the information and he's being Mister Nice Guy Nigel, um, very 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 little leg required. You know, it's it's like you started this conversation with. I think about walk. I think about trot, and all of a sudden we're trotting. But this is also a horse that walks like a freaking snail. <laughs> yeah. Right? Just Mr. Snail Walk. Now, if he's riding down the trail ride, it's not snail walk because he's motivated. But he's not self-motivated to walk in the 20-meter circle. It's not. So I have to r- ride really well. And riding really well is not using a lot of leg. It's staying very balanced making sure that the contact into the bridle is elastic and that's incredibly hard to actually do. I have to ride really, really well and we will get a through walk. It's not going to be a walk that's going to get a nine on a dressage test. He's just not that athletic behind. But it's going to get the best walk and it's not by squeezing my legs harder. <laughs> and and we all fall into that trap. Um, I still do every day. I have to remind myself like, get out of there. You're, you're hanging on them too much, either with my hands or my legs. And I think what I see in a lot of riders is because there, we know, I know my horse can't hold the canner. As soon as I take my leg off, he's going to fall out of canner. So I have to hold him there. And then you're going to have to hold him harder and harder and harder. And that's when you start thinking, I need a sharper spur. I need to get, I need to get a crop. Um, nothing against those tools, but you, when you find it becoming an arms race, like I've got to get a bigger weapon and then he gets duller and then I got to get a bigger weapon. And pretty soon you're using a nuclear weapon and it's not working. And, you know, then it was like, what do I do now? So I see a lot of riders so afraid their horse will fall out of frame or fall out of the gate. So they hold a minute. If you want to fall out of it, that's fine. Like I asked you to, to get to canner. Um, that's what I'll do with a lot of my colts because they don't understand the concept of cantering around and around and around in a circle yet that we have to build to that. And so can you just get to canter? And I ask, and then when they get to canter, I, I relax. I still keep energy in my body because if I relax completely, in my opinion, my horse should stop. Um, so I keep the energy in my body that says we're continuing to canter. And if the horse falls out of canter, I let him, I let him come all the way back down to whatever they want to do again. And then I say, Hey, guess what? We're going to go back to canter again. And I get them all the way back to canter and then I release. And then this time, maybe they'll hold it for two or three strides and then they fall out of canter. And I don't do anything. I don't kill them for it. They're not punished. I don't kick them harder. I just say, hey, you're back at the walk. I would like you back to the canter. Get them all the way back to the canter. And then one of these times, if you really trust the process, and it might take days, um, 
they will get to canner and then you'll feel them start to lose it. And I, I give them every opportunity to do the right thing. Um, they'll start to lose the canner and they'll go, oh, she's just going to ask me to canner again. So exactly. I'm going to stay. And when that happens, what, do. <laughs> to what I will do, if I had really a hard time with that horse, I will get right off and I will loosen that girth and say, you're done. I'll give you all the cookies. And I, again, I treat it like you just won the Olympics. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, that's, that's one thing that I think really helps. And the other thing is I will do lots of releases of pressure when they do the right thing. But when they give you a, a big try like that for that horse, that might've been a huge try. I, I will either quit the ride, even if we're five minutes in, I'm like, that was a million times better than yesterday. I can't get any better. I'm going to get off or I'll just sit, sit on you for a bit with a loose rein and I'll play on my Facebook. And just yeah, leave you alone yeah. for five minutes. Yeah. Those make a huge difference. Yeah. And one, I'm going to touch on one more thing before we wrap it up. Um, this applies to forward as in energy. It also applies to any kind of lateral work. If, you're, if the horse is dead to your leg, you can't get him to move off the leg laterally. The answer from, this is, this is me. The answer is never more leg. The answer is always, where are you blocking the leg you've got? If you're putting your left leg on, trying to get your horse to move, move to the right, and he's not moving to the right, don't put more left leg on. Figure out which part, or usually parts, plural, of your body is blocking the energy you're creating with that left leg. It can be in your seat. It can be in your hands. It can be in your shoulders. It can be in your jaw. That's what you need to investigate when you're doing those the, the lateral work. It's always what are you, how are you blocking it? And it can be sometimes one part, sometimes it's multiple parts. In my experience, it's mostly my multiple parts. Um, so experiment with that. Don't increase your leg. What what other aids are you inadvertently giving that horse that you're blocking it with? Good one. Yeah, we get really good questions. We get really good questions. And as I said, if you want to ask questions, you have to be an auditor. And to become an auditor, go to Horse, Horse Radio Network, go to Horses in the Morning Show, and look for the Become an Auditor banner. It's always there somewhere. And for people who want to stalk you appropriately online, have you come and do a clinic, uh, have you judge a horse show, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, buy your artwork, where are they going to find you? Best places on Facebook, Mary Kitts Miller Horsemanship, I would say. And I have a personal Facebook, Mary K. Kitts Miller, um, and you can contact me there. Dun, 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 and stay tuned next month for Mary Kitts Miller's review of Chicken Camp. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs>